Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Don't Touch Me, I Survive podcast with your host, Marcella. And this week, we are going to be discussing masking, the Black woman's experience of masking. This week, I'm joined by special guest, Efua, who is the founder and creator of the Jed Ayogi, which is a specialist yogi, and I'm gonna yoga, and I'm gonna allow her to introduce herself and tell her, tell you all a little bit about what she does for a living and her specialist yoga. So thank you all for tuning in this week. Um, I was meant to do another topic this month. However, I've had to switch the topic because during this session, we are gonna also be discussing the young lady in the news where she has been sentenced um, to nine years in prison um, for unfortunately her baby. And the result of that um, was for the fact that her baby was left to starve to death. Now. I do wanna unpack that a little bit because I'm quite concerned at how our community are attacking this young girl um, in social media um, without even considering what could possibly have led to her being, um, behaving in what we would say a careless way. But I always say behind every story, there's reasons. And I'm not saying that to excuse the death of the child However, adverse childhood experiences are real and not everybody has a route through life where they've been safe from the day they were born until the day they're adults. So I will be having a little discussion on that later on. But first, I'd like to introduce my guest, Efua. Welcome to the Don't Touch Me, I Survive podcast. Please let our guests know all about your yoga. Greetings, 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 Sister Marcella. Thank you for having me tonight. You're most welcome. And as Marcella said, I am Efua, also known as the Jedi Yogi. And I specialize in bringing Tamare Smaitoi, also known as Africa Yoga, and sorry, African Yoga, and um, Jeff Nateru Simapout, which is the movement of the gods and goddesses, um, to everybody that's interested in learning, basically. Um, I love both of these two very, they're like two branches from the same tree mm. um, in terms of yoga. I find them to be transformative practice from my own experience. And the disciplines both incorporate movement, breath, work and affirmations and they both serve to enhance one's physical mental and spiritual fortitude and well-being love that um, love that, that. pretty much it in a nutshell and how 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 do you find the responses from your classes like how what what's your fee what's your feedback like what do people tell you the most they benefit from your yoga i think people the majority of people definitely leave feeling a lot lighter if you can quantify that, um, more energetic. Um, I 
think when we go through certain movements, especially when I've done workshops and events, some of the feedback that I've got is I didn't realise that I was even holding on to that until we did certain movements or you mentioned certain keywords. And afterwards, you know, the thought process that accompanies what has been done also then tends to shed light on things that people were not aware that were even affecting them. Mm, I can definitely relate to that for the first time that I went to um, a yoga session which was actual class before being able to be confident to do it myself at home Um, Mm. and I started to go towards yoga because um, I had severe well I still have severe sciatica and Mm. someone said to me you know yoga is something that can help alleviate that pain I couldn't put the two together because I'm like you want me to go and bend up and break up in all of these crazy positions that I I can't even sit down for half an hour because it hurts like just sitting still (laughs) for half an hour but I can remember my first session and I had a hard day um I wasn't going to go, but I said, you know what, I'm not going to waste my money, let me go. And it was a, like a salty yoga. So they had like this Himalayan rock salt everywhere. Oh. And it was quite like the humidity in there was not too much, but enough to make you feel like you're snug in a duvet, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then halfway through, like literally the, most of the strenuous stuff was out of the way and it was now time to do the relaxation part of it I guess you would call it towards the end and I lay there and all this emotion came out of me and I didn't know where it came from it just came I don't even remember what she was saying I couldn't tell you what word may have triggered that emotion but it felt like a release more than a relief and I I felt a bit awkward because I was wondering if people were looking at me I don't remember making any sounds when I let out this emotion I just remember the tears streaming down my face uncontrollably like it just wouldn't stop I came home journaled about it and decided that yeah I'm going to go back to a few more and this was around the time I started therapy as well and I realized that it was connected with certain emotions that I was going through but I wasn't putting the two together I was just like well I need this exercise for sciatica Mm -hmm. but the calming of it I don't know what it did but it allowed me to be so still my mind was so free from jargon and it allowed me to feel what I was meant to be feeling and I think that was a bit scary so ever since then I've stuck to yoga um now doing it at home and I would recommend it to anybody not just for exercise but for spiritual reconnection with self and allowing yourself patience with self I definitely learned that from yoga I didn't learn that before (laughs) so yeah go ahead go ahead I I would definitely agree and I I mean what I would really liken yoga to for someone's self-practice it's like going and getting a massage but you're doing it yourself if that Mm, makes sense mm -hmm. the only time I've had the same kind of thought process um but I have when I'm doing yoga and like really being focused and being able to hear what my body's saying and not in terms of how it's feeling necessarily but the emotions that are trapped in certain areas 
is when I've had certain massages done and the person will be working on a certain area and it's like a stream of thought that just comes from nowhere about how I'm feeling and that I think is what yoga does for me as well yes Um, yes it's definitely a healing and restorative um, feeling so as well as healing it's that restorative that renewed feeling because when you said that you you know often people give you feedback saying they feel lighter I definitely felt that walking out from my first session like I felt so light walking down the street I was thinking why do I you know but I'm very um I question a lot of things and mm-hmm. I'm like asking, why do I feel like this light I'm not still not relating it to the yoga why do I feel so light because obviously it's my first time but as time went on, I started to crave that feeling. And this I think that's what kept me doing it. Not for the sake of I'm now doing it for my exercise, but I felt the benefits of concentrating on my breathing, being in tune with my breathing and allowing myself that level of calm where nothing else is allowed to enter. Yeah, I agree totally. And I think as well, um, it just allows you like it's so weird that as above so below it's when we create space in our bodies um and allow the free free flow movement of circulation we because we get i feel like our lives are very conducive to gathering a lot of stagnancy um how we work the some of the relationships that we have the status quo that we have to kind of adhere to sometimes and i feel like when we're doing yoga it allows the oxygen the blood to flow more freely it's opening up certain joints that can sometimes be a bit closed it's also stimulating certain glands and then on an energetic level like you know how if you don't move a joint it can get stiff because the fluids start to crystallize I feel like our emotions are the same way oh wow I love that metaphor (laughs) I love that because that that I felt that when you said it as well so yeah, that whole movement, I like, I've always learned and I kind of believe that sometimes you have to go through the body to really get to the mind. Um, and in that focus of working the body, like you're not think, thinking about what time you've got to get home, what, what shopping you need to do, what bills you need to pay. You're solely focused on the movement and the breath and that clears a space in your brain where then all the other messages that your body wants to tell you can then start to appear and communicate with you and you are in a state of mind of peacefulness where you can then interpret that differently Mm, no definitely I definitely agree with that wow I I really need to stop being naive in my approach and just actively doing yoga and maybe time to start reading up on the qualities and the benefits of it because I've been recently reading about um, reflexology Mm -hmm. and in speaking with you I just had this little brainwave that the two could really marry together as one in my healing so I'm definitely going to go and have a look at more in-depth research with yoga and the benefits of it so now thank you for um, sharing that with us and um, please do share your Instagram page and your Facebook page so everybody knows where to locate the wonderful Effua. Thank you, thank you. So my Instagram is at the Jedi Yogi, which is D-J-E-D underscore I Yogi, Y-O-G-I. And my Facebook is under Sarah Jane Osei. 
<laughs> okay that's excellent don't you worry folks everybody who's listening that will be in the description and it will be hyperlinked and when you click on those at hangles it will take you straight to her profile pages so thank you for that so now we're going to go and dig deep into the topic of masking a black woman's experience now masking well i guess we're all um guilty of some form of masking whether it's you know playing down um when you was a teenager playing down whether or not you've you know you've lost your virginity when your friends are all doing it or playing down that you know you you actually smoke and you don't smoke do you know what i mean or whichever it is there's a lot of masking out there right but when we look at the definition of masking so apparently in recent developmental studies, masking has evolved and is now defined as concealing one's emotion by portraying another emotion. It is mostly used to conceal a negative emotion, usually sadness, frustration and anger with a positive emotion. Now, with that being said, Okay, and if we were to unpack that, I mean, I could agree with that definition, but when we're looking at masking and mental health and late diagnosis, in recent years, there has been um, a lot of Black women and women of colour that are receiving late diagnosis for such things as Asperger's, ADHD, ASD, um, many other um, intellectual needs on the spectrum. For those who are not aware of that term, I am a person that prefers to use the term intellectual need when it comes to spectrum, what they consider spectrum disorders, which I don't like that either. Things like um, ASD, the autism spectrum, um, ADHD, because usually people are functioning at a higher rate than others in a particular thing. So sometimes um, a child that has autism, they can be super excellent in maths, but their handwriting may not be on the government attained standard as what's expected in the United Kingdom. However, you know, you give them a maths problem that a 22 year old probably um, um, is meant to be solving, but here's this little eight year old child solving this problem. So bringing it back to topic, mental health and late diagnosis, like I was saying, it's like, there's a recent fluctuation of late diagnosis is coming through. Um, and you have to consider how many years of masking they would have had to have done as a black woman. Um, in my experience, I have navigated 42 years of my life without a diagnosis and in recent times receiving one it's now making me look back on everything that I was doing so in regards to how much I like to absorb information how much I like to read um, how much I like to write um, how methodical I am in my approach and my organizing skills because I get very frustrated if my stuff is not organized. So then looking back, I'm thinking, well, while at university, I could see how I was impacted. But again, I was masking. It's this thing where you mimic what the norms of society are. And 
even if you're feeling down, frustrated, anxious, you still show up. But in the long run, that's only at a detriment to yourself. So I'm going to turn that over to you, if you are. And, you know, how do you feel about masking in Black women when it comes to mental health and late diagnosis? Because mental health doesn't have to just be um, assigned to an intellectual need. It can be depression. It can be psychosis. It can be a number of things. So how do you feel about, you know, late diagnosis and the length of time a black woman may have experienced masking in her life and how that may have impacted her life? I feel like I can only really speak on it, maybe from my own perspective, mm. in that um, I can very much relate to, I haven't had any late diagnoses, but what I would say is as I've gotten older, definitely the last maybe five to seven years I've had definite cause to question certain aspects of my behavior like I've always known for instance I've always suffered from depression mm. actually since I was a child I mm. think or fits of melancholy as it would be put um definitely in my early adulthood late teens early adulthood um and then I don't know I don't think I necessarily put it down to depression though. I just felt like I get into these spaces where I just want to almost um allow myself like sorry let me let me take that back a second mm, mm. so if I'm not feeling great about something what I my process has always been to really embody that not feeling great and almost just let it wash over me mm. um, and I will allow myself to feel all of the sad feelings all of the hurt whatever until I feel like I don't need to feel that, that anymore right allowing yourself time and to sit in those emotions and be yes yes but that will be within but what comes with that or what has come with that on a certain level has been masking because you know obviously when I'm by myself I'm very comfortable would just be like roaming around a house like a lost soul or whatever but mm. when you're then having to go to work or raise children whatever you do understand that that's not necessarily the con most conducive space to be in yeah so yes. you'll, you'll adapt other traits of perkiness yeah you know um and also because sometimes you don't want people asking you um because you haven't always been given the tools to even understand or express what exactly is going on um so yeah I can say definitely the masking aspect I, I can I can relate to it and just sometimes as well you just don't like I know that when I get into that very dark place it can be a very dark place and I'm mm. quite conscious as well of the way that energy moves yeah and I don't always want to put that on somebody else yes that's that's I was gonna say that like I'm mindful so like you were saying often when you have a house with children in there you've got to raise a family when I'm feeling in that mode I'm also mindful not to transfer those feelings onto my children if that makes mm -hmm. sense and that's another level of masking because if I'm in that mode and they're coming towards me I've got to quickly snap into that smile that 
hi kids how are you bubbly you know and you know but at the same time how much am I benefiting my children by doing that because I was reading something recently a recent research study where allowing children to see not maybe not all but you know what harm is there allowing children to see you express some of your emotions and I would say that would depend on um the parent right and how much Mm -hmm. they would be willing to share with their child and they know their child and how much their child may be able like if how resilient their child is so for me being mindful of not transferring too much of it onto my children but at the same time still letting them know like look mommy's having a down day it's a duvet day and the minute they see me in that mode, I must admit, they will, mum, do you need a cup of tea? Mum, do you want a coffee? Mum, do you need anything from the kitchen? And that's how they seem to manage it now. Whereas before when I wasn't sharing with them, um, they just come bouncing into my room and I'm now quickly drying tears away from my eyes and trying to hide my swollen eyes and now they're becoming concerned mom what's wrong why are you crying so it's like managing masking is also about managing those dynamics right there's some levels of masking what we've just now discussed is probably necessary to protect your children but you still have to allow them to see that life is not always happy if that makes sense oh, yeah no, so yeah Sorry. yeah so it's Sorry. like yeah so it's like with that now it's like I make sure that my children know that yes mommy struggles sometimes but that there's nothing wrong with that everybody has a hard day and because I've and I always try to describe it to them look if I've had five days and I'm happy and this two days I'm feeling like this, just know, because I've had those five days happy, I know I can have happy days again. So that's why, that's what I told myself to be patient with myself and allow myself to be and sit in my emotions. I can definitely attest to what you're saying. And I think, um, I think now definitely now my my daughter's older as well, because you do, you want to raise a child that's emotionally intelligent. If I'm not feeling to fall my hundred now, I'd be like, look, you know, I'm not really, not really on this today. <laughs> yeah. Or, and she does, she gets it. She'll much like your children. She's like, should I get you? And sometimes she just sees, oh, mum, do you need whatever? Um, and I think it helps the children to develop and become more um, considerate. Yeah, and empathetic and compassionate. Absolutely. Yeah, and being able to sense someone else emotions and maybe even offer support in that time you know so yeah no definitely and now masking doesn't also happen you know it's not only with mental health or um, intellectual needs it can be as you know while experiencing and after experiencing domestic abuse or parental abuse so you know when you think about a woman that is within that situation a lot of the times, you know, even in my experience, your masking comes where you pretend everything's okay at home. And when you leave your home, you put on a smile, you know, you don't let anybody raise any eyebrows. You just keep it pushing and keep it pushing through the fear of 
you know, what if someone actually does find out? What are they going to think of me? It's never actually attuned to the fear of what would they think of him or her that's doing the abusing. The woman often sits with, well, what are people going to think of me? So there's a lot of masking within domestic abuse and, and parental abuse. Um, I found masking during, like I was saying, and after as well. Like, And that I think that came from when some people ask you, how come I haven't seen you in years? And you might start to tell them a little bit and then they will come out with a blame narrative. Well, why didn't you just leave? And then you shut down again mm. because it feels like you're being blamed. So mm. again, another level of masking, going through, smiling away, like nothing's wrong, everything's rosy, everything's dandy, and you save your tears for that quiet scream into the pillow at night. <laughs> what do you think about domestic abuse and masking and the impacts on black women with that? I think um, I can definitely relate to masking in terms of parental abuse. Mm. I think, um, well, it, not that it was my parents, but mm. I was abused as a child um, by my foster father. And honestly, it's only maybe the past four or five years that I really speak about it really, very freely or in this type of forum. Um, and a lot of that, some of it was to do with, yeah, what will people think about me? Some of it was to do with the fact it's not even something I've really discussed with my family. Um, so it's not something that's widely known. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I, I think I did, I think really the breach of the waters was earlier on in the year, you know, how we connected with yeah. my um, post about um, female-based violence. Yeah, um, yeah. I was definitely in a quandary on that day because I was like, well, there's like people in my family I know that watch this and watch me and whatever. And they're going to literally find out something historic about me because I'm in my 40s now mm. um, that they have never really known about me. And at, I mean, I definitely remember an instance when I was about 13, my brother even asking me and I was it wasn't a time when I could actually just really say, yeah, this there was so much other stuff going on. And I just was like, no, that's nothing's ever happened to me. I'm fine. Mm. Sort of thing. So then 30 odd years later, like, what's my brother? How's my brother going to feel? And not even just because I, I'm quite conscious of other people feeling guilty. Yes. Not having maybe spotted the signs or um, just putting it, putting it down to me being a rebellious or bad teenager. Like I've always said that I was very misunderstood as a young person. And I didn't have the skills to communicate and the people I was talking to didn't really have the skills to get it out of me. So it was just a whole process um, of, you know, going through that masking, living life, becoming older and wiser and just reaching a state of peace. I think what really facilitates people not masking is being able to feel at peace yes. with what happened to them. and yes, acceptance, getting, yeah. Yeah, and getting to a point where either they have that support of not feeling judged or they just get to the point where they just don't care anymore because life has just done so much and you've overcome so much that actually, so what? So what if someone wants to blame me for something that I was not responsible for? Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, I know my truth. Do you know what I mean? 
no I definitely agree no that no I love the way you def that you like you said that last bit there like literally because that's how I am now you know a lot of people they may send me messages oh you look amazing on your Instagram yada 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 and I'm like thank you but in my heart I'm like don't think you understand how many times I had to be broken before I could feel brave and bold and don't care and you know what I get one shot at life it took for me to get to 40 plus so (laughs) so ladies out there that's listening to the show I can assure you healing is a never-ending cycle it goes on and on and on you just end up be evolving into new improvements of yourself kind of thing but yeah I definitely agree with that yeah yeah I think it's very true about what you said with the healing and I think you know when we're younger we're very much externally focused and I think well society teaches us to be very externally focused which is I think why a lot of these things can go under the radar because we're so busy um looking at people's facade um yes and not not taking on board the non-verbal things right um, but I think as we get older, we have children. One of the biggest indignities I think a woman can have is childbirth sprawled out, you know, depending on your experience. Yeah. Uh, I think that helps to chip away at some of that, you know, um, reserve that we have. And then raising children, having to battle with your children and just having to battle through life. You really do get to a point. By, I think by the time you've done ten, four decades of that, you're just like, you know what? Yeah, I'm amazing. Like, yeah. You have to look back. And especially if you've gone through some serious levels of trauma in your earlier adulthood and it it hasn't been something that's really consumed you and you've still managed to rise um, and still managed to raise and have healthy relationships and stuff like that, then you really do get to look back and be like, well, you know, when I was 16, this was me. But look how far I've come. Look at the things I've achieved. Look at what I've raised. Look at what I've created. And you can really start to be like, well, what I did when I was 16, what happened to me when I was 10? Like, not that it's not important, but who can judge me for that now? Exactly, because we couldn't have been our own. I say it all the time on my show. We couldn't have been our own superheroes at six years old and at 10 years old. And do you know what I mean? It was what people need to understand. It was the responsibility of the caregivers at that time to protect us. So, you know, and it's what that brings me to is the other side of masking where say for instance you could be um coming out of relationship and you don't want people to know um so you pretend that everything's still okay you know it's we have to bring it back to the damage what masking can actually do to your health your mental health your physical health you know it can weigh a heavy impact especially where you've already experienced parental abuse or domestic abuse or sexual abuse and you're now pretending that you don't have anything wrong pretending that you don't feel sad pretending that you you know you don't feel like you just want to curl up and cry pretending that you you know you're you're absolutely fine and you're the social bee of everything you know in the long run you actually end up you know damaging yourself further and you know a whole four decades yeah it's true what they say life begins when you're 40 and you know what I don't think I started adulting 
properly adulting until I was 40? Um, yeah, I can definitely relate. I think I started adulting when I had my daughter, but I had her late. I had her at 30. Mm. And I had her also. I was very much ready for a change and I'd always wanted to have children. And as much as she was not planned like that, I just felt, I felt an overwhelming calling that like almost if as if like obviously if whatever everyone has their choices to make but for me in that instance at that time I felt like I would like literally be doing something um I don't know like I felt like she had to come at that time let me put it that way Mm -hmm. and it was very important that I had my daughter Mm. And I felt like she was a being that was supposed to be here for whatever, who knows what, but that was what the guidance for me was. And I think I really started adulting. Although having said that, honestly, I don't feel like I ever remember a time when I haven't been an adult as well, if that makes sense. Um, I can definitely agree with that. (laughs) Like I've always been very, obviously, like I said to you, I grew up, with I had foster parents I think I was probably one of the last few generations or the last of that generation that was farmed and had like Caucasian foster parents right and so I was always very independent because I lived in a place where there were nobody else like me until I was about 13 and then when I came back to live in London at the age of 13 I was kind of rejected by my what would have been my peers because people thought that I thought I was too nice I was posh I was a bounty I was a coconut um Mm. I was bullied um and then I didn't really have a good relationship with my parents and some of the other caregivers and so by the time I was 15 my mum had thrown me out and I was homeless for about six months and so all of those things throughout all of those things and I so one of the things I'm going to say as well is that you know, my family, I think if you ask them, they would say that I was a very rebellious teenager. Um, and I think even now, 30 years on, they look at me and they're like, ah, that bunch is a bad girl, you know. But <laughs> yeah. for me, that rebellion wasn't rebellion. It was me taking control of what my myself and my life, because I felt like at that stage, so much shit had happened and no one was there cheering me on or encouraging me or telling me how amazing I was or whatever like people were there ready to pass out criticism you know you didn't get the grades why are you behaving like this whatever 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 and I was just like you know what yeah you think I'm so bad F it let me just do me in it I'm just going to do what I want to do because I can't do any worse than what's been done by me already yeah yeah that whole independent attitude like I don't need and if we're going back to the masking aspect I feel like that's probably one of the things I know that I'm not necessarily good at asking for help Mm. I I go to um I go through situations and I'm very much get my head down I'm going to get through this like a bulldozer or a goat I'm a Capricorn yeah and um when on many many occasions when I've spoken to people about the situation afterwards They'd be like, well, why didn't you say anything? And I'd be like, well, it just didn't even occur. It didn't occur to me to even say anything because I've felt like I've always had to just hold it all together and just get on with it. Do you know what I mean? The strong black woman. Yeah. That trope that we yeah. has been ingrained in us from 
the day we came out of the womb and entered this world and you know you touched on the next topic ever so gracefully like when we're unpacking masking and masking and cultural identity and how this negatively impacts the black woman's experience and you just define that very very well because many many um black children were in foster care homes um, with white parents and you're now speaking to these, I think what they call them now is uh, trans, is it transracial fostering and transracial adoption, I think it's called now. Mm-hmm. Um, I will check that out after listeners, because I don't like to say the wrong thing. So I will make mm-hmm. sure that um, I check that out. But I think that's um, what it's referred to as. But yeah, and um, the, other, the other scale of that spectrum is farming, where I think this was in the 70s and 80s yeah late late 60s 70s and 80s where a lot of um, African and Caribbean parents when they arrived in the UK in order to maintain their jobs and to be able to afford housing their children would stay with foster carers that not always were treating them in the ways that a child should be treated but then Mm -hmm. even if they were that level of being reintegrated back into your your, um, cultural community, your ethnic community can be quite difficult. I mean, I feel like I can relate on some level where when I was in school, because I lived in the area I lived in, it it was all cool. It was like, you know, everybody was the same. But when I went to college and university, I felt like how I speak was not going to be accepted. I -hmm. felt like it's going to impact my grades. They're not going to take me seriously. Mm -hmm. And even though I did have those feelings, I spent a lot of time in university and college masking. So speaking different, trying to make sure I get all my S's and T's in the right place and all of that and the above and what I was realizing that how I spoke didn't come across in my writing so like I'm a grammar like mad queen not so Mm -hmm. much on social media but if I'm actually typing up something and I see a blue line or I see a a red line I'm fixing it straight away and often or not I would type maybe three to four thousand words and do a spell check and it says zero spell check because I'm very um if a comma is not there and it's supposed to be mm-hmm. I have I have to put it there if I'm playing around with that sentence and that blue line is still there I will yeah. play around with it until I get that <laughs> sentence right so like <laughs> and I won't move on to the next because it will bug me um well, but yeah commas... no go ahead sorry the commas do serve a purpose I mean, it can change the whole context of a, like, do you know what I mean? Exactly, (laughs) exactly, exactly that. But within that, I found that I was masking my authentic self. Mm. So who I am in my cultural identity, you know, I'm Jamaican, I'm Barbadian. Do I define myself as British? Well, I was born here. Mm-hmm. but that's where the buck stops <laughs> like I was born here do I define myself as British no because I don't have any English or British parents I was raised mm-hmm. by Caribbean people like the only I think was my uncle he was the last one of my grandmother's children he was born in the UK 
but mm -hmm. all my aunts uh, would be considered as foreigners. My mum's a foreigner. My dad's a foreigner. Like, so mm -hmm. I don't have that link here like everybody else has. So I feel a level of displacement. But at the same time, I find that I have within the cultural identity aspect, there's two sides of masking, right? There's the masking where I tend not to do too much S's and T's in the right place when I'm around my own people, I feel relaxed, right? Mm -hmm. But then I will go around a different crowd and I know I can't just be relaxed in my speaking and my approach because I will not be taken seriously in a professional environment, right? Mm -hmm. And I battled with that for years. And it's only now coming into my 40s, I'm just like, do you know what? I'm tired. Take me as I am. <laughs> because yeah. I'm in a land where from Scotland right down to Wales, there's no accent the same. I'm not even going to bother no more. So I just yeah. stay the way I am in my professional and outside. I don't change it up no more. There's If I'm trying to pronounce a word that I don't normally speak, then yeah, because I might end up swearing. <laughs> but yeah I think cultural identity and masking I think I didn't want my friends to know about getting chastised for saying things like fart and stuff like that so I'd hide that from my friends because mm. I knew they weren't getting slapped for certain things so why am I gonna go and tell them do you know what I mean and it's yeah it was cultural identity and masking is I need to unpack that one some more with my own self as well I think for me, as I've had, I had, I don't know, the, kind of almost the reverse of that, mm. where because I grew up like with Caucasian people, and not not like they were middle class, they were like working class white people. Yeah. yeah. Well. But um, my, I was in the country or closer to country, and I spent a lot of time by myself because, as I said, I was the only person like myself. So I used to read loads. Um, and obviously when you read, you pick up things and I'm always quite curious if there's a word I don't understand, I'd go to the dictionary and I'm quite lucky in that I remember these things. So I find, I found myself um, almost like playing that vocabulary because one of the things that, and people say about my daughter now, oh, very well spoken, great vocabulary. Um, and I think definitely growing up and in my earlier twenties, that, that was, it wasn't, accepted so much by my peers or and acquaintances you know and I just didn't want to you, you don't necessarily want to stand out at that age but now I'm like listen if you don't understand what I'm saying go and get a dictionary I don't need to downplay because this is <laughs> I'm not on airs and great because people always think oh she must think she's so nice she's pop no it's not that but this is actually genuinely who I am <laughs> yeah no I definitely hear you and that brings me into the next type of masking where do you feel like masking there can be there's a lot of negatives to masking you know obviously you masking mean that you're not getting access to the services that you may need for a diagnosis that you have or mm -hmm. you're not getting support services for um, depression that you may be experiencing or PTSD or anxiety and all of the above so it's like but on the other side of that do you think there could any like there could be possibly any positive um, forms of masking like any positive benefits from masking it can be viewed as a positive but if I look now I mean I'm in a position to be able to look back 
over quite a bit of my life and I never had access to or no because social services at one stage were somewhat involved because they were one of my teachers I remember in primary school she was concerned Mm. she was very quiet and withdrawn and they you know they asked me questions and I was just like no everything's fine but they kept me more probably because of the situation they did keep me monitored for a little bit right yeah and so potentially if I had opened up and not I would have had access to different services but for me there was always the fear of I think um I didn't have any control over where that would situate me and you know decisions based on what is literally presented in front of you and what your sphere of knowledge is so for me as much as I hadn't really I didn't really have a relationship with my mum and dad like that yeah and it was, I was very comfortable where I was, um, despite having been, because I believe by that time the abuse had actually stopped as well. Despite having that knowledge and memories and stuff of what had happened to me earlier, I was still very much more comfortable in that environment um, than I was with my parents because yeah. I've always been labeled the spoiled child, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and it just felt. Now, moving on to the next element of masking. So I think I would agree. I don't know if you could say there are positives to masking. I think if you're looking on it under aspects where if you have fear of a certain situation, so for instance, um, you fear your job interview, you think you're gonna fail, and as soon as you go in there, you're this perfect person and not even you know how you pulled it out the back. <laughs> but at the same time, there's a performance level aspect to the positive sides to masking. And I think to relate it to um, performing, so in job interviews, in um, assessments, you know, mm-hmm. I feel like there can be a level of masking in psychological assessments. Um, in um, social services assessments. Um, some people may feel that if they disclose their everything and their all, it could mean that their case could be worse or not have the outcome that they would like. So, you know, you can go into, you, you know, obviously you go into a job interview, you have to, if you're feeling horrible and you feel like you're gonna fail, you, you have to put on a show, don't you? You have to mm-hmm. show that, you know, you're, um, you're in this positive space I guess and then you walk out of there feeling shit because you just don't know whether you've got the job or not so I think there can be positive performance aspects of masking um, throughout the human's life but yeah I don't think I agree with you on the aspect of just calling it a positive masking experiences no because you're still concealing who you are yeah and then that brings me to the medical and organizational gaslighting. So, you know, in speaking of assessments, I find mm-hmm. in reading up on research and listening to Black women's experiences, you know, whether that be by documentary, whether that be by people I network with in the community, you know, you often hear a Black woman say, 
when she goes to the doctor they don't believe her pain you know they gave my friend antibiotics but they wouldn't give me antibiotics like and we've got the same illness and all of that and the above right Mm -hmm. I found with the medical situation from my experience of domestic abuse I masked a lot of stuff from medical interventions and that was linked to feeling embarrassed feeling ashamed of what I had been through but also the way these organizations may speak to me I'll give Mm -hmm. you an example Um, I went to the dentist and it's not something that I had a practice of doing Um, I was in a violent relationship I was often locked in the house you know medical um, checkups were not something I was able to get out to go to Mm-hmm. So when I did finally start doing that, I went to the dentist and the dentist's reaction on my wisdom teeth um, kind of put me off going back to the dentist for another three years mm-hmm. because they were like, oh, my God, those are the worst wisdom teeth I've ever seen in my life. What have you been eating? And I'm just like, whoa, OK. Do you know, I couldn't even allow that person to work in my mouth. That's how affected I felt about their mm-hmm. comment. I just said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to make an appointment with a different dentist, um, but I'm going to leave now. And coming away from that, it gave me flashbacks to when, to what I was experiencing in the physically abusive relationship and how I would often sit there with my teeth clenched tight, mm-hmm. grinding my teeth in my sleep, um, going for days without brushing my teeth because I wasn't allowed to mm-hmm. so people when people think that you know you, you have teeth like that because by choice you know mm-hmm. for me there was levels of I weren't allowed to brush my teeth um, mm-hmm. I was being made to force to stay unclean for five to six days at a time mm-hmm. and if I attempted to there'd be chastisement so mm-hmm. going to the dentist and getting that feeling all like you know that gaslighting experience I then that contributed to a lot of me masking how ill I really am Mm -hmm. and that that can have a negative impact because you know the the strong black woman trope uh, um, attached to that I just got a gap and I gotta do what I gotta do I'm sick as a dog but I got a gap and I gotta do what I gotta do and I'm looking back now and I'm realizing hold on a minute I gave birth to my child at 4 16 in the morning and I got home at 6.30 in the morning, same morning, and I got the kids ready and took them to school Mm -hmm. and then came back and tended to the baby Mm -hmm. all within six to seven hours of giving birth. Mm -hmm. Looking back now, I'm like, what the hell was you thinking? What was you doing? Masking. Everybody's got to know that I'm okay. No one can't think anything's bad because if the school thinks something bad, they're going to take my kids from me, da 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 those are constant thoughts so that level of masking even brought me down to masking that I'm fine and I've just given birth Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when even the most empathetic like everyone knows that you know you need to rest after this they don't call it labor for no reason exactly exactly but my medical experiences in the past meant that I just didn't feel comfortable like sharing that with doctors that are meant to be caring for you yeah they don't know you but they're meant to be caring for you I think I can relate in that um 
there was a time when my daughter was about four, five, she was five or six. She accessed something. This, this, this little girl, you know, I went to sleep as she was in bed. She got up. Normally I must, I must have left my phone somewhere. And um, she, she got into it and she, she accessed something that she shouldn't have accessed basically online. And then she went to school and told <laughs> one of her friends and, or two of her friends and, or they were in, and I think they were in the back of one of her other friends' cars. And so thank God that parent came and told me because that alone, some people just be sitting whispering and be like, well, you know, but more power to them. They came and spoke to me about it. And I was mm. actually mortified. I spoke to my daughter. I had to go to the school because I didn't know how far this far and wide, what she had been saying had got. And at the time mm. I was stressed. So I went to my GP about it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was thinking, you know, I'm having anxiety about this. On top of that, I've had to go now to my daughter's school, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And he was very apparently sympathetic at the time. Mm. And then I remember I needed to go away for about a week or so. But in that week, when he couldn't get hold of me, I came back to find... And the thing about it is, is actually I had said to him that I would be leaving London mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. summer holidays. And in that week that he couldn't get hold of me, I came back to find voicemails from social services on my phone oh wow and I was completely like what what the hell like I've spoken to this doctor we had a very frank face-to-face conversation yeah, yeah. He was telling me well you know what children are like don't worry I've got my own whatever blah 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 and then because you couldn't get hold of me twice even though I'd had a very transparent conversation with you yeah yeah and as far as I knew everything was fine I've then found social services leaving me voicemails to say, you know, we just want to check in and make sure. What I would suggest to anyone who um, receives maltreatment from medical or any kind of professionals that are supposed to um, be here to assist you, do what I did. You make a complaint. You don't sit there questioning whether you are right to feel how you feel because if you feel like that nine times out of ten it's not for no reason exactly because Um, your feelings are actually attached to your digestive tract so if you feel something is unjust to you then you are usually right you are absolutely usually correct so in that instance I I think I spoke to the doctor and I made a complaint to the practice manager and then I think the doctor had to apologize to me and then social I don't know if they'd spoken to social services but social services then came back to say well you know it's quite routine we just wanted to offer you if you needed any respite services or whatever or blah 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 but that whole incident just like threw me through a word and it's really really important I was talking to my friend the other day and she had the same thing with her daughter and medical professionals and and it's like they're trying to line her up to make her seem like she's a negligent parent when in actual fact she has done everything possible and what happened is that the the specialist that she's been dealing with gave her daughter some medicine that made her daughter's hair fall out but she didn't advise her that potentially this could be one of the side effects or anything like that and now in an attempt to kind of cover her back She's trying to call my questions, parenting skill, my friend's parenting skills into question. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And trying mm. to the case. And so I think it's really, really important in any of those situations. Like with if I wish I had known you. <laughs> oh, bless you. Right. Because that is and not only that, but 
I think people that go into these professions, you you need to have a certain level of empathy and client care. There's a certain responsibility. What if you never ever went to the dentist again, right? There you and, go. Um, there's a woman who, well, I've never met her, but someone told me about her. That literally down the side of her face, it looks like someone poured acid, right? Mm. And she had a she had an abscess, and it must have burst. And you know that that pus that's inside of those things is acidic, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. In such a degree that it literally burnt down the side of her face, down her neck, um, because she did not or was not able to access the right care for whatever reason, or maybe she was masking. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Never ever in those situations we have to. And I see there's quite a movement. All the medical inequalities for black women. Yeah. I think it's very, very important that we address these. Um, it is. And it is. Yeah. No, definitely. it definitely is because I feel like I think I've experienced quite a lot of it. And I know there's a lot of black women out there that can say they've had more than 10 experiences of medical gaslighting in their in the span of their life. I think um, one of my first was quite, oh, that I can remember like blatantly was when I was pregnant with my first daughter and, um, it was varying levels of gaslighting um I'd go to the hospital and to the left would be the antenatal clinic Mm -hmm. to the right would be the teenage pregnancy unit sorry Mm -hmm. um okay Mm -hmm. now I'm at the age I'm at now and I'm looking back at that and I'm thinking they really didn't know what to do with us no, they really didn't know what to do with us. They did, and they weren't interested in looking at solutions. They were just propping up with what they thought was cures to a problem that they were never going to look at. You know, so I'm in the hospital, and a male doctor walks in and says he has to examine me internally. Mm-hmm. From the moment he said that, I felt uncomfortable. I'm looking at my mum now for support. But bearing mm-hmm. in mind, my mum was an alcoholic at the time. So mm-hmm. she hasn't got like her best decision-making hat on at the best of times, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at her and I'm like, what am I supposed to be doing in this situation? Am I allowed to say no? Because already I'm feeling uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. He's now started to do the procedure. And Mm -hmm. I felt very wrong. So I told him to stop. And he said he can't stop because he needs to complete the procedure. And I said, but I don't want you to touch me. And Mm -hmm. he said, well, you don't have a choice in this matter. Well, that right there is what's colonizer behavior, yeah? Right. And I was 15 years old. Yeah, no, that's totally in, like, he should have been like, no. (laughs) Right. And it's like, when you think back to those times, like I've written like a lot of, I've written a lot about um, my experiences um, just to unpack them. And in unpacking that experience, that as well is a contributing factor why I did not want certain prodding and poking be done by certain people to me because I just felt like it was a violation I think it's probably why I used to put off having cervical smear tests and why I used to um you know I delay going to go and have um my contraceptive jab when I used to be on that 
Depravera stuff mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I would delay that and and it was all from experiences within the medical system from being young up until I'm old but now I feel like it's my right to be healthy but it took me a long time to get to that you know a lot of concealing stuff and now I'm actually being open with my doctor and telling my doctor everything they're like so how long have you been feeling like this oh for about 15 years you've been feeling this pain for 15 years yeah Mm -hmm. and and sometimes the doctors don't realize that they do a blame narrative too and they would you know they're naive to think that there's some crazy reason why I didn't come forward when the reason I didn't come forward is because some of your staff members were not nice this is it this is it I mean, even at the simpler end of the scale myself, recently, I am, um, I've had chronic backache for about two years. Mm. Um, and it really came to a head during the lockdown. So I struggled back and forth to get, um, do you know, actually even, oh my God, even when I broke my hand, <laughs> yeah. they were supposed to, um, they were supposed to, um, what do you call it? Because it dislocated and it chipped the bone as it because the top the top joint came off completely Mm. and they were supposed to x-ray it realign it and then x-ray it again Mm. okay and so I went and they did the first x-ray and then they gave me gas and air so I was like three sheets to the wind and they Mm. did realign it and then they sent me home and as I said they should have x-rayed it again so Mm. None, the, I, I remembered halfway home, but it was a late night. I had still had to get my daughter get home. So over the next two to three, well, a few days, maybe a couple of weeks, I was like, this thing is not healing properly. Like, it doesn't feel like, I don't know. Um, and at that point, I didn't realise that the bone had chipped either because I hadn't really looked at the x-ray pictures myself. Mm. And so I went back round and round again a few times and it took about two months to get... Um, another x-ray by which time obviously the bone started to heal and I missed one appointment because the letter came the day of the appointment maybe two hours after the appointment I phoned through to them and I said to them this is what's happened and I still struggled to get the next x-ray and then when I did go back I asked the doctor to know what he said to me which is that yeah it looks like it probably was broken but Mm. because of where it is in the healing process now it's difficult to actually say sort of thing but he also wrote that I had missed an appointment a prior appointment but as I said I missed that appointment because the communications from the hospital did not come in good time for me to make that appointment exactly so talking to me about missing that appointment you've now made it seem to anyone else who's reading that note it's like it's my fault mm. and now, do you understand what I'm saying yeah yeah, yeah. That's in effect not the case and if I'm honest with you the only reason I got physiotherapy for my hand when I got it was because my friend is a physio and she was asking me how my hand is and I said to her well no and I sent her some pictures and she was like no 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 the prognosis for your hand the longer it stays like that the less likely you're going to be able to um like get full movement and stuff so she herself actually spoke to someone within her professional circle and then it that's how it actually ended up getting expedited for me to get my physio because otherwise now I, I can just about make a fist on a good day if the mm. joint is really really warm yeah, but yeah. you know yeah. Yeah. yeah and because we we get stuck in this um I say vortex of just trying to work it out ourselves 
-hmm. and it can be a very hard habit to break and again it can be detrimental to your health you know your physical health and your mental health masking you know what I'd one thing I'd say to the listeners is after listening to all that we've discussed this evening just take some time if you feel that you have been masking whether it's your mental health whether your quirky traits is what I like to call them because I call my diagnosis my superpowers Mm -hmm. because now I know I'm more understanding of this is okay so this is why I like to do things this way oh I'm not crazy it doesn't necessarily mean that I assign these labels in a way where you know okay you've stuck this label on me doctor now come you know now come and give me all that you give to people that have these types of diagnosis so it's like what I'm trying to do is be peaceful in mind be peaceful peaceful in spirit and ensuring I keep the energy within my home as calm as possible listen there's times when I feel some negative energy me I'm there frankincense in every child's room and then I'm mm-hmm. walking around with the sage all over their head sage and I'm there praying hard because this energy needs to leave okay you know sometimes my children look at me and they're like again mom and I'm like mm, that dream that I had I didn't like it mm-hmm. it's got to go and sometimes if the neighbors act out of sorts and they're having a big blown Barney and it could be three houses all fighting one another very Mm -hmm. loud verbally abusive after my son's had a whole evening of trying not to listen to that Mm -hmm. I definitely do feel the need to do a cleansing in his room and all of that because just so he can feel like oh okay realigned you know, because my son also wears an anxiety bracelet now. He's only nine, but he's very into what I'm doing with my healing experience. Mm-hmm. So he will often say to me, oh, mommy, can I have one of your crystals to have under my bed tonight so I can feel safe and protected? And then mm-hmm. he'll wake up and like, mom, I didn't get any bad dreams. And I'm like, look at that. Mm-hmm. So I love that. and when I'm meditating he'll want to come and meditate with me if I'm doing yoga he'll want to come out and do some with me so I like the Mm -hmm. fact that it's 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 rubbing off on him and hopefully I can instill enough in him where he doesn't feel he has to go out into the world and mask his authentic self he can just be in who he is and yeah and now coming to the end of the show can I just say yeah no go ahead go ahead Um, I'm very much the same way. Sometimes, like, it's thick, like, the fire alarms will be going off, but I'll be smudging. But energy, right, I, I, living where I live right now, this has taught me, um, the first five years I lived here, I've lived here for six, coming up for seven years, we had a crackhead, and she lived on the floor beneath me, but to the left. So I live in a block with eight flats, four on one side, four on the other side. So she mm. was on the floor below us and on the other side of the block. So not mm. directly underneath me basically and I'll tell you this right we me and her we used to catch up all the time because if you want to smoke crack sell your pom pom out well I don't care but don't make it spill out into my area yes right? I hear that yeah um, but so what used to happen is a anytime so what I know is anytime I used to have like an altercation with her verbal or whatever I'd wake up um and I'd have scratches all over me first thing first right and what I noticed when she left so the guy that lives next door to me he's got I don't know if he still has but he's had what seemed like a drink problem and every Friday night or Saturday night without fail for nearly five years him and his son used to catch up 
to the point where I'd be sitting in here like, oh, I don't know if I should call the police. It sounds like, mm. and you know when it goes quiet, oh my God, is everyone okay? It's not like, mm. the couple beneath me, which would be my direct neighbours, they were always arguing, right? Mm. And then the man downstairs, who was two floors below her, was just an absolute manic man, yeah? Anyway, when, when I finally got her out of here, and don't get me wrong, I'm not trying, I, I'm not for anyone being homeless, but as I said to whoever, there are places for people that have substance misuse problems and they shouldn't you know yeah for real this block everyone else in this block has got either vulnerable adults i.e pensioners or whatever or young children this is not the place for her she Mm. needs to get on with all her raggle taggle of friends coming and sometimes we wake up and find people sleeping in the garden like all yeah because she's not just a risk of harm to herself she's a risk of harm to people in her surrounding community yeah when she left right let me tell you something my neighbor He's like completely got his house. I said, all up to now, I see bags and bags of rubble. He's redecorated. The curtains are done. Even me, I did my flooring. I did my daughter's bedroom. The people mm. downstairs, they stopped arguing. They're actually having another baby, right? Mm. And all this happened within 18 months of this woman leaving. This, yeah. this. So energy really filters out and it's, depending, you know? It does, it's real. Happens. It's real. Even me and my daughter, as far as I'm concerned, our relationship is better. Maybe because I'm not stressed. Maybe it's just that no one's stressed because they don't know what they're going to walk out in. Like, but whatever was there sitting, residing with her has a very big impact on the majority of the residents in this block. And I've mm-hmm. definitely seen the change. Since yeah, no, that's, that's definitely like Monday. something what, um, when I was doing um, the recording for the Africa X5 podcast, um, we have a co-host on there by the name of Kevlar. And how he defined someone describing what they see him as. So they don't see him as a black person. They see him as an element of Mm. this fine earth that we live in. I can't wait for that episode to um, release so everybody can hear how Kevlar defined how we should all be looking at our identity. You know, yes, we are humans, but before we are humans, we are elements of this earth or else, Mm -hmm. you know, and you think about it, you know, the human body can conduct electricity, like literally, right? Come on now. Like you can probably stick wires and make a battery go for goodness sake. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? So, and you're actually, and to restart our heart, what do you use to restart our heart? Electricity. There you go. So it's like, if people are not realigning themselves to the earth's element, how can you expect to be healed? Because if I never started to go for walks, regular walks and do things like, you know, take off my shoes and just stand in the grass and just feel that without mm-hmm. thinking about what could be in the grass. I have water mm-hmm. at home. I have soap at home. It, all right. <laughs> okay. But getting back in touch with nature for me it's I spend a lot of time on my patio growing you know foods like vegetables and fruits and stuff and I enjoy going out there every day whether it's my lunch break from you know working from home or just before dinner I'll sit out there have a cup of tea and I'm just sitting in all of that greenery and I'm watching this greenery get bigger and bigger and bigger as everything's flourishing before me and I'm feeling warmer and more you know protected by nature if that makes sense and yeah, when you refer to the itching in your sleep that was distressed itching so some people when they sleep from if mm-hmm. they are suffering from like distress during the day constant distress then it can come out in your sleep from grinding your teeth from itching to um 
constant disturbed sleep, so tossing and turning, um, um, night sweats, it, it's a lot. It's a lot. Dry mouth syndrome, um, dry eye syndrome. It's mm -hmm. a lot. Constant ringing in your ears. Like, you know, when you're highly stressed, you will hear a constant ringing in your ears. And that alone will put you off um, trying to get any rest. But, you know, in finishing up the show, mm -hmm. just for the listeners' um, benefit, you know, I'm just going to hit out a few little facts in regards to masking you know it can help some of the listeners maybe if they want to go and research further into masking um the research that i pulled up um was from um healthline.com mm -hmm. and you know when it looks at masking and why people generally learn to suppress emotions from a few there's like for a few key reasons and it's to avoid showing weakness and i can definitely mm -hmm. relate to that mm -hmm. you know um to avoid getting hurt mm -hmm. we've discussed various ways of, of trying to avoid ourselves getting hurt whether it's in relationships mm -hmm. or to avoid conflict or even if you know lack of trust in yourself and others as well you know lack of confidence as well is another thing why you may mask because mm -hmm. it's not always attributed to trauma or having a form of diagnosis and then in the ways that it affects you I was reading about you know disrupted communication so you know you'll have lack of communication yes I'm an introvert yes I like my own company but I also find that found that when I was in social surroundings I was often quiet um emotional build-up yeah you know, gunny sacking I think the British term for that is where you store up all of your emotions for so long and then you blow mm. yeah whether that you blow in anger or whether that you just blow in an emotional you know heap of a oh, breakdown yeah, yeah right and then you've got um heavy like severe relationship strain so it, you know masking can affect your relationship because you're not being your authentic self within that relationship you're trying to perform to what you think the ideal relationship should be do you know or if things in your relationship are going bad you may mask um that going bad because you don't want people to think you know your relationship or your is a failure or you're a failure because you know your relationship hadn't worked another thing as well that you know when we're looking at masking and when i kept saying that you know it can very much impact your mental health and your physical health there's been a 12-year research um, being published um, in 2013, and, and there's a link between emotional suppression and the risk of early death. And this is something that I want people to really understand. In recent months, um, mine attributed to trauma, in realizing and coming to the acceptance of what's happened to me and unpacking what's happening to me and compartmentalizing it, that put my um, mental and physical health under a lot of strain. And I came out in a lot of hives everywhere. The doctors didn't even know what was going on. It was affecting my livers. Like I had hives inside and out, like literally everywhere. So, you know, in having this episode, it's just to raise awareness that if, you know, if you are suffering with masking in any form of level, please, please, please do try, you know, to reach out to some support you can reach out to, to me, Marcella, at the Don't Touch Me, I Survived email address, which is don'ttouchme.isurvived at gmail.com. Um, you can also hit me up on Instagram. All of my social handles will be there. But in regards, bringing it back to this 12-year study, they found that diabetes um, is something that can be as a result of masking all of your emotions, all pent up, sleep issues, high blood pressure, heart problems, they're all linked 
to masking and the physical aspects of what it does with your body because unaddressed stress tends to linger in the body where it can contribute to those kind of health conditions and that also brings it back to what you said and I don't think you realized but when you gave that metaphor and you said if you are that you know I paraphrase um, mm-hmm. that our emotions can become stagnant and stiff same as your muscles if you're not exercising those regularly mm-hmm. so and I love that metaphor I definitely will be putting that into the description mm-hmm. of this podcast I would like to thank you Effia if you are my apologies for joining me in this episode it has been an amazing discussion speaking with you um like i'm sure our listeners are gonna you know they're gonna find it very very useful thank you for sharing all about your yoga i'm sure the listeners are going to come over to your page and check you out if not please make some bookings girlfriend book this lady up okay (laughs) so yeah so thank you again for um for joining in this episode, Effio, it was a really, really heartfelt and deep conversation. And thank you so much as well for sharing some of your personal journey as well, because I know, you know, that can be quite a lot in um, in the environment of a podcast. So I definitely appreciate you. Love to thank you, my you. sister. Thank you. Um, I'm going to say again, thank you for having me. It's always such a like even though the subject matters can be heavy it's always such a joy sharing time and space with you oh thank Um, you (laughs) just to relate to what you were saying like to really quantify I've got kidney stones I've got two kidney stones and I've been going for treatment for them um Mm. recently and when I look in one of my books that really parallels the psychosomatic so the psychological causes that um then manifest as physical ailments or conditions um kidney stones a can be um to do with unresolved anger frustration or unresolved anger or frustration but also the kidneys house um the emotion of grief yes yes and so my kidney stones i touched on it earlier but then i did get deviated to talk about my hand but basically they were, I had chronic backache for like two years. And when I went to the GP, they kept trying to fob me off to go to musculoskeletal. And I was like, no, but when I, and literally when I was doing yoga, I'd go into certain positions and I could hear them going, kunk, 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 kunk. but I didn't realize it was kidney stones. I literally just thought it was my joint. Mm. And so when I finally got the um, CT scan, <laughs> the guy was like, you've got one that's like a centimeter big and one that's like eight millimeters. And I was like, no way I could literally, I thought I could hear it. Like, I, so, and it just occurred to me that what I was hearing now was these two things rattling together. Right, um, right. Yeah. And that is the extent of, I don't know if it's a whole four years of, um, you know, emotional trauma, whether it was maybe the past six or seven years, because I know within, from about 2017, maybe slightly before, I've gone through huge, huge transformations, let a lot of things go, release a lot of things, just almost reinvented sort yeah. of thing. But within that process, do you know what I mean? It brings things to the surface as well. Um, whatever, however you're holding it, um, try and find an outlet. And it also, because everyone in my family actually has got, some kind of seems like kidney weakness and when I look at all of us um we all had our own different issues parenting like yeah because my parents were immigrants 
um, first generation, like my brothers and sisters, of, of, they grew with them for a certain point and then they grew, they were raised in Ghana by my grandmother. So, you know, there's all that separation anxiety and all of that. And I've, I've seen the traits in not just my siblings, but then some of our children as well. Um, so not only are you helping to heal yourself when you're addressing these things and not stop masking and really get to the root cause, but on a genetic level, you are also helping your descendants yeah. to overcome these things and to be able to deal with them in healthy ways. So Love how you wrapped that up and summarized <laughs> that. Thank you, everyone. No, definitely. I definitely wholeheartedly agree with you on that one. And you heard it right there, listeners. You know, health before wealth, you know, as much as we've got, you know, a lot of obstacles in our way, please, like FUS said, you know, try to have an outlet, whether that be yoga, whether that be reading, whether that be long walks in the park, you know, it doesn't have to take money to begin your healing process. Get back out to nature, get back outside, you know, be at one with nature and just be, you know. So, listeners, thank you very much for this month's episode. I shall be back next month on the 15th of September with a new episode. Thank you. You have been listening to the Don't Touch Me, I Survive podcast with me, your host, Marcella, and the wonderful guest, F.U.R. Thank you. You have been listening to the Don't Touch Me, I Survive podcast with me, your host, and my guest, F.U.R. At the beginning of the show, I did say that I was going to discuss the recent events with the young baby who um, starved to death recently. However, in thinking about it, um, as to not um, mix the discussions too much into what me and F.U.R. were discussing, I am going to do a standalone episode um, in regards to that recent event um, and also because some new release of information came out this week in regards to another case that I was following um, and I know many of my listeners and many people out here were following was the case regarding what Katie and Nelson perpetrated against a young girl and a member of public just showed her whole heart and saved this young girl from further atrocities that could have happened that day. So, yeah, I'm going to do a separate episode. So thank you for listening to the Don't Touch Me, I Survive podcast. Thank you for supporting. Thank FUR for coming on and sharing her stories. And again, I shall see you next month on the 15th of September, where we'll be having more in-depth discussions about experiences that we face um, coming through our healing journey. So thank you for listening and have a great month and look out for that bonus episode that should be out at some point this week.